All right, the fall of Babylon, Revelation 18. Last week, we looked at the prostitute Babylon in chapter 7 and the scarlet beast. And we're seeing that the book of Revelation is an unfolding story. And really, the story is about Jesus, isn't it? We just have to remind ourselves each week, each chapter, that this story is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about him. It's about the kingdom of God being consummated in him. It's about his work in the church. So last week we saw that God wins. God announces judgment on spiritual Babylon and on the Antichrist system. And we have been asking each week, what does this mean for first century readers, Christians in Asia Minor, and what does this mean for future readers like us, and it's important to see. Today, we're going to ask the same thing. We're going to see chapter 18 dealing with the fall of Babylon is really kind of a tale of two cities, a tale of two kingdoms, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, and we know who wins. We know that the kingdom of God triumphs over Satan's kingdom. So as we look at this, We're going to read the entire chapter. I just want us to remind ourselves again, Jesus is Lord. And this passage, as we'll see, is the Lord speaking prophetically through John a few hundred years before Rome actually falls. And the message is that in the fall of Babylon, the lordship of God in Christ is underscored. So we're going to look at four sections in this before we read it. We're going to look at the fall of Babylon that's predicted in verses 1 to 3. We're going to see in verses 4 to 8, the Lord calling for the people, the Christians, the church to flee from spiritual Babylon. And then verses 9 through 19, there's a lament, a song, a funeral over spiritual Babylon. And then finally, verses 20 to 24 is going to be rejoicing over the judgment of spiritual Babylon. And again, for those who weren't here last week, we're going to have a a little visual aid that helps us make sense. Now, who is Babylon? How does Rome factor into this? How do end-time systems? We're going to revisit that. So Revelation 18, 1 to 24, are you ready? Again, we do this because chapter 1 says to read aloud this letter. There's a blessing in it. And again, behind it is the lordship of Jesus and his mercy calling out to the nations. But there are some throughout history, including Rome and the Roman leaders, who say no to God. Revelation 18, 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, 
and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Then I heard another voice from saying, from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins, and so that you do not share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her as she herself has rendered, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double draft for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, so give her a like measure of torment and grief. Since in her heart she says, I rule as a queen. I am no widow, and I will never see grief. Therefore her plagues will come in a single day, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire, for, the, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of scented wood, all articles of ivory, all articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, choice flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, slaves, and human lives. The fruit for which your soul longed is gone from you, and all your dainties and your splendor are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, the great city, clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in one hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafarers, sailors and all who trade on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, with such violence, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and minstrels and of flutists and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And an artisan of any trade will be found in you no more. 
and the sound of the millstone will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the magnates of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in you was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slaughtered on earth. This is the word of God. Where do you go from there? Each week, we're reading this because it is a word of God, and it's profitable to hear, it's profitable for teaching. We'll see that there's actually some immensely practical insights in this text for us in 2021. Let's look at verses 1 to 3. The fall of Babylon is predicted. And I must acknowledge that oftentimes I'm prayerfully reading these passages and saying, Lord, what are you highlighting? But one person in particular, a commentator named Greg Beale, was super helpful in unpacking this passage even providing a helpful outline that I adjusted, so I must acknowledge the helpful work of other people. But the fall of Babylon here is predicted, verses 1 through 3. You see it, verse 1 there. Another mighty angel with great authority and splendor that fills the earth. Can you imagine the glory of an angel? This might be Christ himself. We don't know. There have been a couple of places where this could be another instance where the word angel means messenger and it could be Christ, what's called a Christophany, an appearance of Christ. Most likely it is an angel who serves God, who serves Christ, but it's pretty glorious. An angel that fills the earth with his glory, just like we saw in chapter 10, verse 1. What we'll see is from the beginning, this angel is reflecting the glory of God. Whereas Babylon seeks to generate her own glory. So from the beginning, we're going to see comparison and contrast here. Babylon wants to manifest its own glory. This angel is singing a song, right? At verse 2, it's a prophetic taunt song. And we find this in the Old Testament in Isaiah 21 and Jeremiah 50 and other places Again, we see that John draws from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament. And so here in this vision and his hearing what the Lord is saying, there's a song that's spoken. And think about this. John is writing, as as we remember, around 90 A.D., so about 60 years after Christ. John is writing this letter, and he is announcing this. The angel is announcing it. John's recording it. And it is so certain that it seems it's already happened. So 90 AD, the Roman Empire, which this is addressing as the new Babylon, and we'll come to that in a minute. The angel through John is saying, Rome, the new Babylon, the godless empire that kills Christians, grows rich on the backs of slaves, you're fallen. 
Now, the Roman Empire would continue for another 30 years to grow and expand and reach its pinnacle in about 117 A.D., and it didn't fall officially until 476. But here it was, the announcement based on the characteristics and the attitude toward God that this great empire had that covered nearly every continent. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And you look at the text, it's pretty alarming here, isn't it? Verse 2 in the middle of it, fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great. It's become a dwelling place of demons. And I mentioned at the beginning, there's a comparison and contrast here, just like we saw with the unholy bride and then the bride of Christ. Well, there is an unholy city, Babylon. And it's full of demons. It's indwelt by demons. And then we're going to see over the next 19, 20, 21, 22, the city of God is actually not filled with demons, but with the glory and presence of God. What are the reasons for the judgment? This is being announced. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Look here in verse 3. The reasons that judgment is coming is because the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, are intoxicated by her and committed fornication with her. So we saw that that was a metaphor, wasn't it? Just as a person would go and visit a prostitute, now you've got the nations going into this godless system and participating willingly in all that she stood for, politically, economically, religiously, worshiping her gods, the false deities, and in turn becoming wealthy through this relationship. Look at verses 4 through 8. I think what I want to do here, all right, I want to do something. If that's all right, we're going to go out of order, into the world, right? I want to skip down, and I want to look at something and we'll get back to this but just bear with me a minute I, I want us to go down to verse 23 okay so we're looking at and why don't you put the slide up there that has the triangle that explains it I want to explain this again because there's a lot of questions and a lot of muddy water around who is Babylon? What does this mean in John's day? What does this mean in the future? And I put this up here. I thought it would be helpful. There is a satanically inspired power that manifests throughout history, right? That opposes God, opposes God's ways. And the text has shown this. We've seen in 1 John 2 that there's a satanic antichrist system that emerges at different times in history. Do you remember that in 1 John 2? There's an antichrist that will come, and then there are many antichrists that manifest, culminating in the great antichrist and great antichrist system. Well, the texts that we've been looking at are saying the same thing. You have a satanically inspired power, and then the second one there, you have Babylon, historical Babylon, about 700 years before Christ, that is the type or archetype of a satanic empire. So what John is doing is he's pointing back to Babylon and saying, well, here it is again, manifesting in the Roman Empire. 
It's a godless empire. It's an antichrist empire. It's persecuting the very people of God. It's growing rich. It's making money. It's God. There's human slavery. These kinds. So do you see John is saying, here is Babylon again. And I've put that on the top there, Rome, the first century manifestation of this satanic empire. Is that helpful on clarifying a little bit? And we just see it emerge over and over again. And the book of Revelation is given to us so that we have a biblical lens, a biblical grid for discernment at looking at what God is doing in the earth. And where we see these things manifesting, we can say there's a spirit of Babylon. All right? Clear as mud? And I pointed out some things last week because we're looking at this in its first century context and we're looking back at some of the things that they did, and we'll come back to this in a minute. But I wanted to point out something in contemporary culture because I think that helps. Look at verse 23. We saw last week that any time an anti-Christian empire emerges... It seeks to seduce the people of the earth. And it says at the very end of verse 23, do you see there? All the nations are deceived by what? By sorcery. And the word literally is pharmakia. And so in the ancient world, chemicals were used to mesmerize and control minds. And that continues throughout history. Some people would say, well, are you saying pharmaceuticals are sorcery? And I would say, nah, no, but can drugs be used to mesmerize and control people like ancient pharmacia? You answer that, of course. So are there incredibly positive uses of pharmaceuticals? You bet. Are there misuses of it and abuses that numb people and dull their minds Yes. Along with that, not only just kind of a metaphorical and figurative use, but literally. I mentioned last week some things that made us uncomfortable a little bit, right? Made me uncomfortable to share, but I got quite a bit of feedback from people, parents last week, and I actually had people saying thank you for sharing that. I didn't know. I am not following the media. And so I give another example today. And I want you to hear me up front. We are focused on the Lord Jesus and on his kingdom and his ways. And I mentioned last week a dual revival that's happening in the earth. The enemy bringing everything he's got. A satanic revival aimed particularly at our youth. And then God bringing the true kingdom revival of holiness and purity. Biblical practice. And so this ties into it. So I want you to hear, we're not focusing on primarily the work of the enemy, but there are certain things that I want to bring to your attention. Is that all right? And I encountered this story, and it was pretty shocking. It's about Tom Brady, quarterback, six-time Super Bowl champion, probably the greatest quarterback in NFL history during an interview to promote Gillette razors 
and this is posted on YouTube. I saw it originally, but I found it on YouTube on the WCVB Channel 5 in Boston. So you could look this up for yourself and watch it. It's about two minutes, but I'm going to direct quote from Tom Brady. And again, as we look at sorcery manifesting at different time periods, Tom Brady says this, as he's speaking carefully of following his wife's instructions before football games. Tom says this, I've learned a lot from my wife Giselle over the years. She is so about the power of intention, believing that things are going to happen. She always makes a little altar for me before a game. I have these special stones. She has made me wear a necklace and take drops that she makes and say all these mantras. I stopped questioning her a long time ago. I just shut up now and listen. Before the Seahawks game in 2014, she said to me, this is your year to win, Tom. These are all the things you're going to have to do in order to win. I did all those things, and by God, it worked. In 2015, Giselle told me, this is not going to be your year, Tom. And we lost. She said in 2016, this is going to be your year again. So in 2016, I asked her if we had a chance, and she said, you're going to have to do a lot of work, and you're really going to have to listen to me this time. So I listened to her. Right after the game, which they won, she said to him, see, I did a lot of work, Tom. You do your work, I do mine. Then the interview ends with this. Tom, you're lucky you married a witch. I'm just a good witch. So friends, I'm trying to point out vivid examples of these kinds of things. And again, it's everywhere. Most spheres of culture, I could give numerous examples. We already looked at the music industry, could see it in Hollywood, professional sports. We saw that politics is downstream from culture. It's everywhere. Again, our focus is on the Lord Jesus, but like the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, we know the days in which we live. Do you want to know the day in which you live? So as Christians, we can either stick our head in the sand or we can look around and see what's happening and be aware. And I want to say first and foremost, what should our response to a story like this be? Pray for them. Tom and Giselle and their family, we should pray and fast for folks like them, high-profile people, and ask for the Lord's heart. Lord, save them, deliver them, just as you've delivered us and continue to deliver us. Save them, Lord. Send people into their lives to bring the gospel. I would also say this doesn't engender fear in us. When I point out something like this culturally, the intent is not to, oh my gosh, let's be fearful. We fear the Lord alone. We fear the Lord alone. But we're called to be awake and to be aware 
of the schemes of the devil. Amanda and I were talking about this over the last few days. Peter, the apostle Peter says, what about the devil? He prowls around like a roaring lion. So if that's true, and you say, you know, I'm not interested in the roaring lion thing. I want to stay positive. I want to stay optimistic. I want to stay focused on the Lord. I'm ignoring the lion. Is that wise? No. You want to know enough about the lion and how the lion tracks down the prey and how the lion is attacking maybe people around you that you love and care for, and you know enough to fend off the lion through prayer, fellowship with others, through the power of God. And we're going to see in a minute that the Lord tells us time and time again, even in the book of Revelation, that he has all power. He has all power over Satan and his demons, and he's given us that power to walk in. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, clothed in Christ, and the Lord authorizes us to go into the world, into the schools, into the marketplace, and make his gospel known, to proclaim it, demonstrate it, to pray for the sick. So friends, we've got all power. We fear the Lord alone, but I just want to give examples like this, and that may upset some of you. Some of you might go, I was wearing my Tom Brady jersey last week, and you know, that's okay. Pray for Tom, but I just think somehow some of these things get buried in the media, and they're big stories, and we have sorcery going on that's directly from their mouths, not making it up, it's an interview. You can go and watch it. Pretty influential person. So we need to know what the enemy is up to, and then we need to counter with the gospel, proclaiming and demonstrating it. The second section here. How you doing? Doing all right? Some of you are like, I'm going home to watch that video. Watch it. Watch it. I encourage you to. I'm not going to quote or reference anything that I can't stand behind 100%, 100% and verify. That's verifiable. Straight from him. Verses 4 through 8. The text talks to Christians, to followers of Christ, and says, flee from Babylon. Saints, separate from Babylon before judgment comes. Verse 4, look at it. Come out of her, my people. Flee before it's too late. And again, John, being a New Testament prophet, is inspired by the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah says the same thing in chapter 51 to the people of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah does the same thing. If you think about this, the notion of fleeing, of moving out of one place into another happens time and time again in Scripture, doesn't it? Abraham and Sarah, Genesis 12. The Lord says, I want you to leave the land of your father and go to another land that I have for you and your people. Lot in Genesis 19 is told to flee from Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus in Matthew 24 tells the Christian Jews to get ready to flee before great persecution comes. Now, I want to be clear. This text is not saying that Christians are supposed to 
withdraw from the world, is it? We know better than that, don't we? One commentator says this, Christians are not being called to withdraw from economic life. Nevertheless, they may be ostracized as they were in the first century from the economy because of their refusal to compromise. Now, we haven't looked at this enough, but I want you to listen to this, okay? This is the kind of pressure that the first century Christians were dealing with that John's addressing. In the first century, all the business people were a part of a trade guild, a group, a sphere of people where they used their skills to make a living and feed their families. But you know what happened? In order to be in that group, that guild, you had to worship the gods of Rome. And the Roman leaders would tell the Christians, all you have to do is offer a pinch of fragrant incense to Caesar. That's it. Show up on this day, among this group of people, all you got to do is take a pinch and offer it as an offering. And the Christians in the first century said, no, we won't do it. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord, not Domitian. The stakes were high for these folks. Just think, you could not work and you could not eat and you couldn't take care of your family. Those are high stakes, aren't they? And if they didn't do these things and they were completely excluded from participating in the marketplace, this is where we saw the mark of the beast and all of those things and the economic pressure that was applied to Christians. It was serious, friends. But the text is not calling Christians now to leave the world. We're supposed to remain in the world as a witness, aren't we? And to suffer for Christ. Amanda had a great image this week. It's like a boat in the water, not water in the boat. The Lord calls the church to float on the sea, the ocean of existence and culture, but once that's breached and the water culture and the influence and all of these things we're looking at begins to pour into the boat, we've got a problem. So friends, we're called to float right in the middle of it and we're called to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom to show forth the life of Christ. There's a more positive way maybe even to phrase this that may not sound good to us, come out of her my people, flee from Babylon. And friends, I, I'm wrestling with this. Wallace and I had a good conversation this week about this. How do you get Babylon out of you? And you know what? I stand before you today. I'm still working on that one. I, I think there are some general things that we can say, but I've got Babylon in me. I've got the, the spirit of comfort and economics and focusing too much on that. So I stand in a place of I need to repent and grow and have the Lord work on me. I just, I don't have the answers and the authority. Maybe some of you do, being in the world but not of it. Lord, would you change me? But there's another way of saying this. How might you get into the kingdom and get the kingdom into you? Would you like more kingdom in you? Would you like to get out of Babylon and have the kingdom of God 
manifesting. It's pretty simple. We enter the kingdom of God by submitting to the reign of Jesus. That's how you get in. You're Lord. That's what the New Testament says. Confess that he's Lord. And then it changes your life. And through the power of the Spirit, through the power of repentance, our lives are changed. Repentance, joyful repentance, is the way into the kingdom, and it's the way on in the kingdom. The kingdom of God, Jesus teaches, is already within believers. Luke 17, 21. But we learn to live in it. And we learn to submit to the leadership of Jesus and to the work of the Holy Spirit as Christ is formed in us. So we leave Babylon. The first century Christians, the stakes were high. That may be high for us someday. In other parts of the world, they're living in similar ways to this. But friends, we can all grow and learning to flee from Babylon, can't we? Things come to mind for you where Babylon may have a little tentacle, have a hold of you, like it does me. I'm like, Lord, would you help us through the power of your word, through fellowship with other believers, through confession of sin, through sharing our faith, would you break off some of those tentacles of Babylon? Would you change me? Would you form Christ in me? Would you do that with our church? The third section here, the lament for Babylon, verses 9 through 19. This is a a longer section, and I'm just going to touch on a few things here, but there's three groups of people, aren't there, that are singing lament It's like a funeral dirge. It's like the casket of the Babylonian empire is about to move through and people are mourning. It's the kings, it's the merchants, and it's the shipmasters. This might sound kind of outdated, outmoded for us. Well, that doesn't seem we're not really involved in maritime commerce like they were in the first century. It's actually not true. But this might seem rather outdated, but some of the things that are going on here are incredibly relevant. And I'm going to point out one in a moment here. Verses 9 through 10, you've got the kings. If, in fact, Babylon is being announced as falling, it's going to come down. The Antichrist system that's extorted its people, that's persecuted, that's drunk with the blood of the saints, the kings... These are the governing heads of all the nations. They're mourning. They weep. They wail. They see the smoke. You heard a refrain multiple times in this, didn't you? That it happened how quickly? Verse 10. How quickly did this happen? One hour. So that's a biblical way of saying quickly. So I think whether it's first century Rome or ancient Babylon 600, 700 years before that, there's a pride, a smugness that settles in, especially when it comes to economic systems and security. And then along with that, if people are turning away from the ways of God and turning away from treating people fairly like human beings, God's judgment naturally comes. Babylon 
fell suddenly, Rome fell And in the coming days, whatever system it is, whatever empire it is that raises itself up against God will also fall. Look at some of the things that were traded here. I want to talk about this briefly. Verses 11 through 17. So much to look at here. But there's a long list. There's 29 items in this. And to be honest, that could be rather boring as I stand here and read about ivory and cinnamon and marble. Anyone else did that kind of tune out for a moment? But there's meaning in it. The point is this place was like an ancient Amazon. I mean, they had it all. Everything you needed was ready and was delivered, especially for the rich and the elite but it happened on the backs of victimized people. The end of that list. We heard two words, didn't we? That it's slaves, it's human life that are being used in order for Rome to live this kind of luxurious lifestyle. It's happening on the backs of slaves. And friends, ancient Rome exploited the lives of humans. And they did some heinous things. We've touched on it a little bit. They threw away newborn babies if they weren't wanted. And they sold people, it says at verse 13. Do you see that at the end there? All of these various items, but it ends with slaves and human lives. And it uses Greek and Hebrew language here, living souls. People made in the image of God. And we may look back at first century Rome and say, man, they were foolish. Our world would never engage in that. Our country, our empire would never participate in that. But friends, human trafficking is an ancient, wicked practice that continues to today. And I have been sensing this week as I looked at this text and it leapt off the page to me. I heard the Lord saying that he wants to do something among us with empowering us and calling us and activating us to be involved in fighting human trafficking. The scriptures call us to do two things. The first is to be aware and informed of exploited or oppressed people. And secondly, to side with them to work on their behalf, to partner with Jesus in their rescue. Luke 4 says that. He was anointed and the church is anointed to bring the gospel to the poor, to those in bondage, to slaves physically, literally, and spiritually. What would it be like if our Lord's really got involved in this? What if we launched groups and initiatives to pray and fast, to research, to financially support and to partner with Jesus in rescuing people who were victims in human trafficking. What do you think? What if the Lord put it on the heart for some of us to zero in on some of the massage parlors around the cities where human trafficking is happening, where they're trafficking women, especially from Asian countries, and the Lord called us to focus in prayer and fasting on some of those 
and maybe even for some of the women among us to visit and receive a back massage or a foot massage and share the gospel while that's happening with some of these women. What if the Lord were to do that and we began to see people get saved and rescued and respond to the gospel and we saw Jesus plunder the enemy's camp? Would that be wonderful? Would that be beautiful? It's on the Lord's heart. So a little word here that's tucked in a text from 2,000 years ago throws off all kinds of meaning. The Lord didn't like slavery and human trafficking then, and he doesn't now, and he has a constructive plan to rescue people. I want to recommend this Operation Underground Railroad. Write this down or put it in your phone. It's ourrescue.org, O-U-R-R-E-S-C-U-E, Our Rescue. And we've got some people in the church, Todd and Addie Blue, who are involved in this, but I want to invite us as a church to prayerfully consider what might Jesus want to do in us in these days to fight this, to share his heart. We've got a whole section here at the end. I had someone last week say, why don't you dismiss, and then people that want to linger around, we can do five more minutes. but I'm just going to wrap up with this. Okay, the whole last section is rather strange. Verses 20 to 24, there's rejoicing that happens over Babylon's judgment. Is that strange to think that God would announce the fall of an antichrist system and that people could actually rejoice over it? But imagine if your children or a family member in the first century had been taken and put to death like it would happen we talked about they were Christians were sent into the amphitheaters Christians were made into human torches just think if that happened to a family member you would actually rejoice that there was justice coming to an antichrist system that would do something that vile wouldn't you I certainly would and that doesn't mean that we rejoice in bad things happening to other people, but it, there's something in human nature that wants to look to God and say, will you fix it? Will you get involved at the right time in the right way? In mercy, yes, but also in holy judgment. That's what's happening here. So let's conclude here. Let's stand up. I sure hope that you're seeing that the book of Revelation is gospel. It's good news. So even when we peek into some of these things, an antichrist system, we look at the roaring lion as he's moved around in history throughout 2,000 years, Jesus has won. The shed blood of Jesus on the cross is what gives victory in the first century and it gives us victory now. Revelation 12, 11, we overcome by the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony and by not loving our lives even to the point of death. Alan, Melissa, you got anything you want to say? 
And you know what? If you need to leave, I apologize. You know I'm a stickler for punctuality, that professor and me. But there may be some, some days as we go into these final chapters of Revelation where we go over a few minutes. Everybody's free to go if you need to. We're going to take a few minutes here as we wrap up. Brock said he was going to hand the mic to me, and I said, that's great. I'm ready. And then I looked at him and said, what are you going to do with the mic? Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to provide some thoughts I feel like the Lord gave me um, during the message. And then Melissa and I had something that we feel like um, we both kind of had in our hearts. When I hear these messages, I tend to get a little bit anxious and fearful. So I just wanted to provide um, a comment to not be fearful, like Brock said. Um, what he's talking about is not hypothetical. It's not off in the future. It's right now. It's happening today. I want you to drive down Broadway Extension or May Avenue, and I want you to just to open your eyes and ask the Lord to show you what the businesses are that are right under our noses, where human trafficking is taking place, where prostitution is taking place, and where the, the um, immoral use of chemicals is taking place. As I was sitting there, I remembered um, the movie It's a Wonderful Life, and you guys may remember it, and there's a scene in there that, that always I, I remember, and it's when um, the angel showed the main character, Jimmy Stewart, what would happen if he hadn't been around? And then you see Pottersville off in the future, and there was gambling and prostitution, all this stuff. That's what's happened to our city. Because, and this is the Bible belt. This stuff happens so gradually you wake up, and then you realize what's happened. Um, I think it's just time not to fear, but not to be silent anymore. We can't, we have to be able to, to speak the words of truth and, and to go forth. We have to guard ourselves from our worldly perspective about what's happening in our, in our world. When we were in Ethiopia, a friend of mine who experienced persecution, who was a leader in the underground church, looked at me, and it really offended me when he said this. He said, Al, freedom is the enemy of the church. And as an American, that just really rubbed me the wrong way. And what he meant was, he goes, when we were living under communism, under the Red Terror, where the bodies stacked up in the roundabouts every morning, the church was unified the church was on task, the church was on mission, and they didn't fight over petty, worldly things. But then when communism was expelled from their country and the church became free, the church began to experience infighting, worldliness, and all those things. We are grateful to be in a country where there is freedom, but we have to be careful and realize that in freedom, we can fall into excess and get off task. We need to be bold. We need to be tenderly bold. Um, and then this is what Melissa and I had on our hearts together. And I just went to James, um, James 4. And it was just, I felt like the Lord was saying, don't be polluted by the world. There are many times in, in Paul's teaching where he said, this is not for those who live in the world. This is for the church. Because those who live in the world are going to follow their father, the evil one. But we are to be set apart. And so over in James 4, I'm going to read this and let Melissa kind of elaborate. Um, James said, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God 
and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So I just I sense what Brock was saying is how do you get Babylon out of you? There needs to be a, a, a season of repentance where we say we're done with the world. We're just not going to go there anymore. We've toyed around with the world. We've, we've held the world in our hands. We've had one foot in both. It's just time for us to set ourselves apart. And so I want to let Melissa just share a word associated with that. I just had the verse, um, 2 Peter 3.11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should we be? And I think that that should be what we wake up to, what we go to sleep to. What kind of people should we be in light of all these things? Do we take the word seriously? So what does that mean? When, I, when I'm surfing on the net, looking at Facebook, shouldn't I turn it off and search for the Lord instead? All these things are passing away. Maybe I should turn the TV off and not watch the show and pray with my family. Maybe I shouldn't read that novel that's so interesting, and maybe I should get into the Word and be a person of the Word. If this world is passing away, what kind of people should we be? And I just think it's that time in our lives. It's, it's, it's that time where we wake up and where we start to do life a little bit more seriously. And we just say, if the world is passing away, what kind of person should I be? So just ask the Lord, even in this space right now, what kind of person should I be? And what do I need to lay down this morning? Something innocent. And this is not to condemn you, because I think that's, that's, that's the enemy. The enemy wants to condemn and say, see, I knew you'd fail, or you bad person, this, that, or the other. This is not about the enemy. This is about just saying, Lord Jesus, what kind of person do I want to be? And I'm going to lay it down to you today. And I, I just, I think practically as people, sometimes I need to do it visually. And so I just want to invite you, if you want to come forward and just in a very visual way, just lay it down to the Father and say, this is yours. This is the kind of person I want to be that is completely sold out for you. And like Brock is saying, none of us are perfect. None of us get it. I flip through the internet all the time. I look at TV. I watch movies. I read books. But I think it's the Lord saying, it is time to be that kind of person that you lay it all aside. Because the days are coming when we have to be intentional, focused, and, and really on fire. Because I think the Lord wants to use us to be a light to the world. He wants to use us to heal the sick, to transform lives. And it's not just people our age. It's, it's you guys, young people, your age, little kids, four-year-olds that are on fire for Jesus, that walk up to people and pray and heal the sick. So it's for all of us, our whole community. So I just really want to encourage you, ask yourself this morning, tonight, tomorrow, the world is passing away. What kind of person should I be? Yeah, so the ministry team can go ahead and come on up. When I became a believer, I had to count the cost. I remember sitting in my apartment going, am I really all in? Because if I'm all in, it's going to require a, a, a lifestyle change. And finally, I said, I'm all in. But I have to continually do that. Am I really all in? And uh, so for some of you this morning, maybe it's, it's reconsidering, I'm, am I really all in? And, uh, and do that this morning. So, uh, Rock, you want to go ahead and transition us or just go ahead and bring the ministry team up? Okay, so if you would like to get prayer, we'd love to pray for you this morning, and the rest of you can be dismissed.